Can we just take a moment <laughs> and just just really appreciate that? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> How amazing that is! Six months. This guy used to work for NASA. He's uh, like he worked on the Mars rover that's that's active, and so you know this thing is way over engineered, way too much money spent on it, and yet all those all that time and money was absolutely worth it. Uh, the full video is worth looking up sometime just to see how many people he had. And it's a shame, like how many people actually do this and how many opportunities he gets to, to get them on camera and the reactions are, are just amazing. I mean, glitter is the worst. It, it, there's nothing worse than that. My mother-in-law always sends me cards with glitter on them. And uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing, I guess. Group therapy later, right? Glitter, it's awful. All right, I'm hung up on that now. Hey. Listen, I mean, this is, the, this is the great thing about revenge. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We're talking about revenge today, but this is the great thing about it is when somebody who gets, finally gets their comeuppance, like what, what they deserve, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, it's, it's one of those things that every once in a while I daydream about. You guys daydream about revenge ever? Like one of my daydream, my revenge daydream uh, confessions is when I'm driving. You guys ever had somebody like real, real aggressive driver cut you off. They're going like 95 on the interstate going crazy. Like 95, that's not bad. Not, you know, and they're, they're driving crazy and stuff. And one of your hopes is like in a couple minutes down the road that you see them pulled over on the side of the road and a cop has gotten them. I, I've never seen that happen before. Has anybody ever, there were a couple of people in first service like that. Really? That many people? How come I've never seen that happen? Or, or was it you? Like, were you the one that was pulled over? Is that why you... I see, I see what's going on now. So that's one of the, you can't point at your wife like that. It gets you, you get in trouble. And she, you're not going to have a ride home. <laughs> that's right. Keep an eye out. Uh, and, and here's the thing, like studies show, and you, you can look this up. It's on the internet, so it's true. Studies show that, that revenge will make you feel better. In, in fact, like it, it will help you get to somewhat of an emotional equilibrium, like if you are able to somehow manufacture somebody getting what you think that they deserve. Uh, you get that immediate sense of gratification that, all right, justice has been done. The other problem, though, and studies show this as well, is that that seemingly feeling of satisfaction and gratification that that person finally got what's coming to them doesn't actually deal with the injustice that we have felt has been done to us. And so that, that sense of satisfaction really is fleeting and it doesn't last. Some of the great revenge stories we're entertained by that we think about in film, in books, TV, I mean, it may seem like at the end when, when the hero finally gets the revenge on the character that's going to be this great thing, but at best it only ends as being bittersweet. And let, let me give you an example from the famous Spanish swordsman Inigo Montoya. He said, I've been in the revenge business so long, now I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And the reason he feels like that is that even though he's caught up with the six-fingered man and he's killed him for killing his father, what he really wanted was his father back. And all he had been doing all this time was keeping the wounds fresh and never dealing with the actual problem that he had faced. I, I really like the way that Francis Bacon uh, wrote this sentence about revenge. He says, a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal and do well. And the problem is, is that we conflate the issues of justice with revenge. 
And so out of bitterness and anger and rage, we kind of do the emotional instant gratification thing, do what we think is going to make us feel better and it doesn't work. Uh, one, one professor of psychology at the University of West Florida says, with revenge, you're coming from an orientation of anger and violence or self-righteousness. I want to get him. I want to hurt them. I want to make them pay. You're coming from a place of violence and anger, and that's never good. And it never quite achieves the justice that we feel like we're owed. And listen, I know that there are those of us in this room that deserve justice, that you've been harmed and hurt in ways that I can't even imagine. You've been physically, emotionally abused. You've had family, you've had friends, you've had spouses, you've had people in your life that have harmed you and hurt you in ways that are, are, are painful for me to know that you've been through it. And you deserve justice in your life. And I know it seems like, because it's our gut reaction, it's kind of human nature to think that well, if only that person you know, goes through what I had to go through, then they'll feel the pain that I felt, they'll, go, they'll suffer the suffering that I, that I suffered, then that will make everything better, I'll be able to bear my burden more easily, it will place us on the path to healing, but it just doesn't work like that. I know it's true in my life, uh, several months ago, um, there, there, well, several years ago, there was a small group of people that had uh, done some things uh, that I thought were very harmful to me, and I didn't realize how long I'd been carrying on to some of that, some of that bitterness and some of that anger, until one of them passed away a few months ago out of nowhere. And I realized that there was a burden that I was still carrying, even after all these years, that I still have to force myself to continually lay down at the feet of Jesus. Because here's, here's the truth and here's the reality. Who God has called us to be is greater than the sum of the wrongs that we face in our life. And as we're closing up this series on talking about the life and trials of Joseph and how he's been able to overcome so many of these crazy scenarios and situations that his own family put him in to begin with, like this is the crux of the matter. This is where the rubber meets the road. It really comes down to, has Joseph really just kind of been, you know, living his life based on, you know, what is the most advantageous thing to do in the moment? Or is he really being guided and directed by God, who God has called him to be in his life? And so we're going to be talking about revenge and this great opportunity Joseph has to take it on his brothers who had sold him into slavery at the beginning of his life. So we're catching up with Joseph. As Adria mentioned, Joseph is in this position where he is in control of everything in the land of Egypt. There's no one greater than him and Pharaoh. So he's got the people, he's got the resources, he's got the decision-making power to do anything he wants at this point in his life. And right now he's implementing his time. You guys might remember from last week we talked about there's famine coming. And so he's got this plan about getting plenty of grain and food so the land and nation of Egypt would be fed through these seven years of famine. So he's doing this. Um, but this famine is worse than even maybe they really knew at this time. And so it wasn't just affecting the land of Egypt, but it was affecting other lands as well, including the land of Canaan, where his family happened to live. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 42. And when Jacob, Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. I wonder why. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Benjamin was Joseph's younger brother. They both 
their mom was Rachel, and this was the only wife of his that he actually truly loved. He was married to one other woman as well. Her name was Leah. Happened to be Rachel's sister. That always works out well. Uh, and so Joseph, uh, Jacob obviously was very protective because of what he thinks has happened to Joseph and doesn't want Benjamin to go anywhere. So uh, you can s- begin to see how this is playing perfectly into giving Joseph a great opportunity. So his 10 brothers who sold him into slavery, who wanted him dead, they're the ones that Jacob sends to go buy f- grain in Egypt. And you may remember that Joseph is the one that they're going to be buying the grain from. So they show up in Egypt, and there are a couple things that happen. This spans a few chapters in Genesis, and so we're not going to read all this, so I'm going to sum, sum it up for you. What ends up happening is those ten brothers go to Joseph, but they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. And so Joseph begins to um, take this opportunity to maneuver them in particular ways. And the first thing that he does is he accuses them of being spies. He says, you guys are just coming here. You're trying to see how weak Egypt might be because of the famine. And so you, you must be spies. And they're saying, no, no, they're not. And Joseph is clever here because he's trying to find out information about their family. So he starts interviewing them. All right, tell me about your dad. Is your dad still alive? Do you have any other brothers? And so they tell him. And he says, oh, okay, well, in order to prove that you're not spies, I'm going to send you home with your grain, but I'm going to keep one of your brothers. And in order for you to get him back and prove that you're not spies, you've got to bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, back. It's been decades since Joseph has seen his brother. He misses him. He wants to make sure that he's okay. And so he comes up with this plan. He chooses Simeon as the brother to be detained, which is kind of an interesting side note. You'd have to read Genesis chapter 34. Simeon was kind of, kind of crazy and probably make the brothers do something insane. So he chooses him to hold back. And so the brothers are forced to return home with their grain. Joseph hides their money that they brought to pay for it in their sacks as well. So they're scared about that. But Joseph ultimately is being kind to them, okay? First, first thing that happens. So next we find that Jacob looks over to his sons and said, hey, all the grain that you got from Egypt, we've run out of that. Note that, you know, Simeon's just in the wind at this point in custody with Joseph, didn't get to come back. So they don't really care about him. And so Joseph and Jacob says, hey, you guys got to go back and buy grain. They said, hey, we can't go back. Simeon's in custody. We have to bring Benjamin. And Jacob says, well, if anything happens to him, I'll just die. Like, I, I can't. He's, he's my second favorite son, like, <laughs> which I'm sure makes him feel great. Uh, and so I don't want anything to happen. You guys are fine. I don't care about Simeon. But Benjamin, you know, so they reassure him and say, hey, we'll take care of him. We'll make sure everything's cool. So they go back to buy more grain. So they come. Joseph sees them. Again, they still don't know who Joseph is. And so he decides to throw them a big party, has this big lunch prepared, gets them drunk, you know, all the normal things families do. He sets them up in order of their age, which they, think, which they think is kind of weird, but they still don't know who Joseph is. And so what he does, he does this other clever thing. He ends up taking his special cup that he has that everyone would know is his, and he hides it in the sacks of grain that he gives for Benjamin to take back with him. And so what he's doing is along the way, as they go out, Joseph's servant comes out and he, and he accuses the brothers of having stolen something from Joseph. They say, well, none of us would do that. And in fact, to prove how serious we are that none of us would steal from you, if, if you find anything that belongs to Joseph with us, then that person will become Joseph's slave. Because that worked out so great for them, you know, the first time that they decided to do that with one of their brothers. Well, sure enough, they searched the sacks. It's, it's Benjamin. And so they're like, great. Like, this is the one thing our dad told us not to do. This is not going very well. So they go back to Joseph. And they're pleading with Joseph for Benjamin's life. And here is the perfect storm, the perfect scenario Joseph has to get his revenge. 
And what a great opportunity to finally reveal who he is and says, guess what? I got you now to these guys. He's made sure, made sure his brother's going to be safe, but now he can take care of the other ten. But what he actually does, and instead of taking revenge on his brothers for having sold him in slavery just because he was their dad's favorite and he had a couple dreams, what he actually does is he just sees whether or not his brothers have learned their lesson. Because their reaction at this point in life isn't that, oh, well, there's another brother. <laughs> you know, tough luck, he's a slave now too. What they do is they beg and they plead for their, his life. And what they do is they say, hey, take one of us instead. Don't take him. Because they've learned from their past mistakes. They're sorry for what they've done. And once Joseph has seen that, this is what he does. Genesis chapter 49. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now it's this point that I kind of wonder, is Joseph a real person? You know, <laughs> this, is, is, this is inhuman. This type of level of love of forgiveness, of kindness, of grace and mercy. I mean, that, that has to be unreachable, right? There, there's no way a person could respond in this way of being and putting themselves in a position of making sure his brothers are okay with everything because God has put him here in this position to help him. But, you know, maybe if we stop to think about it, at least if I stop to think about it, maybe it's because most of the time I'm trying to rely on my own power to develop that kind of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy to extend to someone else instead of recognizing that God's glory outshines any darkness that we may have faced in our life. See, Joseph, Joseph overcame the desire or the want to exact revenge on his brothers because he recognized that our real need in the face of those injustices that we faced is a need for reconciliation. This is the need, this is the underlying need that fuels our jacked up gut reaction, instant gratification, emotional responses when it comes to revenge. Because what we actually want to have happen is for the injustice done against us to have never happened to begin with. What we actually want to have happen is for that brokenness and that relationship, whatever happened between you and that other person, for it to be gone and for it to be no longer. So what we actually want when we recognize that that's impossible, that we can't change things that have already been done, is we want reconciliation. That's what we really need. Now, we might think that it's going to make us feel better in the short term, and it does, to get revenge and exact you know, our desire to make them feel what we felt, but it doesn't actually get to what we need in our lives. God offers and has already laid the groundwork, and this is something that Joseph recognizes in his life, for reconciliation between him and his brothers. The same is true for you and me. 
And I get it. I mean, it's easy to be incredulous about this. Joseph's brothers were incredulous. And they think that as soon as their father dies, that Joseph will exact his revenge. But listen to what he says to them. They think, you know, all right, dad's dead. Now he's got all the time and, you know, resources in the world to do whatever he wants with us. But Joseph replies to them. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So by not seeking revenge against his brothers, Joseph saves himself and his brothers from resurrecting the pain of long ago. I mean, like this is how the whole family feud thing happens. Because nobody will let the past go. Nobody will be the first one to extend the first offer of forgiveness. This is how we like harbor generations of hate against another family. And here's the thing, when seeking revenge, you know, you don't just hurt the person that you want to hurt. You hurt the people surrounding that person, the per- people that are, that, are, that are innocent in that, and you also hurt yourself. Hurting people are the ones who try to hurt people. And it keeps us in a state of victimhood. And it's not to say that you haven't been a victim of what something, someone has done to you, but it is to say that you have a choice as to whether or not the person who victimized you still has power and control over that circumstance in your life. Revenge doesn't satisfy because it causes us to continually relive past trauma. The path to bitterness into anxiety, to stress, to depression, to broken relationships is paved with the unwillingness to let go of the things that we can't change. It doesn't mean that we don't want justice. It means that we think real carefully about what our role is in making sure someone gets what they deserve. In fact, God is very direct in what role he plays and what role we play when it comes to revenge. And Paul points this out in Romans chapter 12. He writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Which, that sounds great. Like that part, you know, that makes it all worth it, right? Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Joseph overcomes the desire for revenge by recognizing the need for reconciliation. He also does it uh, with the power of forgiveness. This is something that Jesus describes very clearly to his disciples after teaching teaching them the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you refuse to give others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a powerful statement from Jesus. Not forgive your sins. It's easy to say I'd never be at a place in my life where I'd hate someone so much that I'd want to get rid of them. But if we seek revenge and we harbor that spirit in our lives, that's exactly what we're saying. And that type of unwillingness to forgive keeps us from experiencing the love that Jesus offers us. It's an obstacle for us in our life. How else could we understand and welcome and have faith in the grace of God whose vengeance should be directed at us because of our sin against him? 
And yet instead, he provides a way and a path of redemption for us through Jesus. Joseph wasn't put in a position of power to punish, but to save. This is the same position we're put in as Christ followers. Because as Christ followers, like we've, we've been redeemed and reconciled to God through Jesus. And that changes everything for how we care about the wrongs that have been done for us. Through Jesus, we have access to life-giving hope and redemption to wield in times of injustice. And you look at Joseph, not, not, not only does Joseph forgive his brothers, but he also, he takes the time to reassure them. I mean, it's not like, hey, you guys need to make sure that I'm okay. He goes to them and says, are, are you cool with this? I mean, I know you guys are suffering because you sold me into slavery all that time ago. I've been separated from my family all this time because of that. But are, are you guys good? Like, I want to make sure you're okay. I mean, this, this, is what Jesus, this is what Jesus does for us. This is how he treats us. His forgiveness, his reconciliation. We're forgiven and reassured by Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for our sin. And not only do we get to experience the burden of our sin lifted from our shoulders, we get to share that with people in our lives. And not only does it free us from what someone enslaved us with long ago, but it also frees them to experience the work Jesus did on the cross for their sins too. And that's why how we overcome revenge, the desire for maybe somebody getting what they deserve in life, it, it matters how we approach that because God looks at us and says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you Jesus instead. And that's why I said earlier, man, this is, this is kind of the crux of the matter when it comes to Joseph and how his life is changed, how he interacts with people is changed because of who God is. The character and nature of God causes us to approach things like revenge or how we're promoted or how we deal with discouragement, how we deal with adversity in our life. Like it, it, it helps us to overcome, overcome those things. In fact, to the degree that Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we're more than conquerors because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so, I, you know, there's, there's probably not a more clear way to state it that the, the, the best way to live your life this side of eternity is to recognize God's glory through Jesus and put Jesus' life and teachings into practice and in how you deal with everyday real life things. Like not in just in how you experience and approach church, but how you experience work, how you experience your family, how you experience you know, what we would call real life outside of these walls. And so I just want to just really clear, like I understand the conversation of overcoming is much bigger than just a five-week series. And so I just want to extend an invitation, and this is always open, it's not just when we do, you know, a particular series, but to just to extend this invitation that if you're in a place in your life where like, hey, I'm not really sure how to overcome some of these things that I'm dealing with, like this is a place for you. No perfect people allowed, no one stands alone, everyone's story matters. That's, that's a part of, of, of who we strive to be. And so, you know, if there's a conversation that you and I can have that would help with that, I mean, I would love to do that. Grab me in the lobby after service and we can, we can have that conversation or shoot me an email. Um, my email's on the back of the program and we can talk about those things. We'll sit down and talk, talk through those things together. Maybe, maybe you're at a period of time where you're like, I just don't know what the next step in my faith is you know, to be where God wants me to be. Or maybe it's taking a first step and saying, okay, maybe I'm finally in a place where I'm ready to be all in with Jesus. Maybe it's, it's you know, taking that step and saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to be renewed uh, in, in baptism and, and experience the, just the new 
creation life that God offers us through his son. Regardless of what it is, whatever decision you need to make in your life and how to overcome some of the things you're wrestling with, um, like that's, that's part of why we gathered here together as a church family. And it's something that we do and take on those burdens together with, with each other so that we can be overcomers. So let me, um, right as we uh, prepare to take communion uh, together like we do every week at Velocity, let, let's pray um, as we focus our hearts and minds on how Jesus has enabled us to overcome. Let's pray. God, thank you um, just for the example of Joseph and uh, how consistent he is in living out his faith regardless of his circumstances. And God, we ask that you give us the same heart and spirit when it comes to how we think about how others have wronged us. God, help us to be reminded of uh, how you've treated us in that regard uh, through Jesus. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.